right, welcome back to this, the 14th episode of the Starboard Podcast. For everyone listening who is well familiar with us, hello, welcome back. It's nice to have you again. And for everyone who's checking this out for the first time, there are 13 more episodes to listen back to. Everything's available from our website at startwell.co slash community. And of course, through our syndication partners, including um, the one that everyone uses, iTunes. So you can go to iTunes, type it in on your computer machine or your phone or whatever you use to connect to the internet and download the Startwell podcast. You'll love it. Uh, This time around, I am back in the studio at King Street in downtown Toronto with a couple of fine guests who are our partners and members and uh, residents on the third floor of this campus, our main campus in downtown Toronto. Uh, We're uh, joined in the studio here with Reman and Noor uh, from T-Bot. Hi, how are you? Hello. I'm great. (laughs) Um, So guys, why don't we just start by introducing to our listeners what a T-Bot is or who... Yeah, let's start there. What is a T-Bot? What is a T-Bot? T-Bot is a robot that makes tea. So we have these large T-Bot machines in malls, airports, a lot of schools, uh, universities, colleges, and the customer walks up. There's a beautiful touchscreen interface. They create their own blend of tea. Um, They can adjust the water temperature, the strength of the different ingredients, um, and even the strength of the tea itself. And in a retail environment like that, they just swipe their credit card or tap or whatever you choose. Um, And then it makes you a really nice cup of tea, a cup of loose leaf tea. And uh, do you think that that explanation was necessary for most of our listeners, for some of our listeners? How how known is T-Bot, would you say? I don't know. I mean, to me, it still feels like a startup, but we, we have been at this since uh, 2014, so it's been a few years, and it's it's always nice that, you know, I, I go into my pitch mode and I start telling the story, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw one of those, and so it's, I'm starting to finally get people to be like, oh, of course I know what that is, so that's really nice. It's fulfilling, right? It is. When someone recognizes the brand, or at least yeah. the brand that's tied to the product? Yes, absolutely. Um, so... Tell me a little bit. I know this is now five years. Five years on? Did I get that math right? Yeah. Did I, I don't know if I'm listening. <laughs> it feels like the end of the day. It's not the end of the day, listeners. It's three o'clock. Um, for all you hustlers out there, you Gary Vaynerchuk fans, it's just morning. Um, but yeah, so tell me a little bit about the early years. How, how did T-Bot get started? Yeah, absolutely. So I did an undergrad at the University of Waterloo in mechatronics engineering, which is basically a robotics degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing my PhD in robotics as well. Um, at the University of Toronto, and my friend Brian, he's an old high school buddy, also did engineering, but at McMaster University, and he and I were just out to dinner one day, and he's like, hey, I was helping my parents at their tea store, his parents own a tea store, by the way, (laughs) Uh, um, and he's like, there's a long lineup out the door, Um, I wonder if there's a way that we could, you know, speed up the line. So the original T-Bot was just, you know, a fun project with between him and I, is how do we make that line move faster, how do we, so the original T-Bot was just the top 10 blends in mm. the store because you know like a, a loose leaf tea store you can picture hundreds of blends on the wall and you know somebody takes the blend down they scoop it into a bag they add the hot water then they have to take the money from the customer so it takes several minutes um the whole transaction process so to speed that up we put the top 10 blends into a, a machine that we designed and created um and, and how long did that take is this like experiment mode and like you know we're yeah. engineers and we just want to <laughs> hack something together the so first machine? I've, I've learned a lot, um, you know, but we, we had the first machine in market within six months. Wow. Which, which was really great. And that's just the two of you working on it? Yeah, and, and some, like, 
basically unpaid interns, like some, some, <laughs> some co-op students and stuff like that. Yeah. You had to say they were unpaid. Well, no, I think we did pay the minimum wage. Yeah. There I, you go. I think we paid the minimum wage. It's all legit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so first machine in market within six months, which was great, but what really accelerated the business is we took part in this program at the University of Toronto called the Creative Destruction Lab, okay. um, which is a business incubator. So they, Brian and I, as I mentioned, were engineers, um, but they were, a, you know, a team of really great business people that asked the really hard business questions and it turns out I know nothing about business, right? So I learned that in a hurry. Well, because you were how old at that time? Oh man, I don't know. 25-ish, 27. Undergrad. No, this is after undergrad. No, no, after I was in my PhD. Yeah, PhD, yeah. okay. Yeah, you were already in your PhD. Yeah, 27-ish. Um, but anyways, yeah, the point is the questions they asked were not the questions I expected. I expected, you know, how does this component work or how does this do this and how does this machine work, all the technical stuff that I was ready to answer. Right. But the questions they asked were like, do customers want this? <laughs> right? Like, how much are they willing to pay for this? Yeah. You know, what are the margins here? What, you know, all these really great questions that Brian and I had largely overlooked. Um, we knew the cost of a cup of tea and we calculated the cost of the machine and we went on that. Yeah. Right. But all these other pieces of how do you get real estate space to put these machines? Who's going to service them? How do you compensate those people? So really tough questions, but really great questions. Right. Um, but the biggest one was, do people want this? <laughs> what was, uh, at the time, I know the program has changed a lot, right? Creative Destruction Lab yeah. is now uh, franchised across the country. That's well, right. We were in the second year, so this was a long time ago. It's all very different, I'm sure, than it is yeah, now. Yeah, there were 40 companies admitted. They cut it down to 20 on like the first day, so I think only 11 of us graduated, so a very small cohort. Was the focus at the time hardware? No, or? no, there was no focus, um, which is okay. the really great thing. Yeah, you're right. Now it has changed. There's like a machine learning stream. There's all these different yeah, streams. Yeah, yeah. It was just very broad. There was just one stream. So it was just, they were all over the place. Huh. And so then you got that machine together. Yeah. You started showing it to people. Did you put it, you put it in the shop? Was it used where it was supposed to be, where it was designed for? His um, parents' shop? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never, never went in there? Because that store is up in Sudbury, Ontario, where Brian and I are from. We're actually high school buddies from Sudbury. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he and I created this company down here in Toronto, which is four hours south. So we just never brought it up there. Wow. Yeah. In hindsight, we probably should have. But uh, <laughs> we just kept growing here in Toronto. There's more customers down here. Yeah. Um, and our first machine was at the University of Toronto, ah. which was really great. Um, and that's still a location today. It's our oldest location. But that machine, I'm guessing, has been decommissioned. Yes. So the first three machines have been decommissioned. And ever since Generation 4, which we built five of, then we started building, you know, five at a time, then 10 at a time, then 20 at a time. Um, but ever since Generation 4, those machines are still up and running. Man. It's interesting. What I mean, years hence, the what would you say to people considering building hardware? <laughs> um like this even though the concept is like you know you can make sense of it because it's a solution to something that you understand mm -hmm. and you set about building it as an engineer who's now a business person mm -hmm. running a company building tens of machines at a time or more now yeah um are there any things that if you talk back to your younger self at the beginning of all of this you would have uh liked to understand or know yeah i mean i've learned a ton um 
there's a lot of great um, articles, like blogs and stuff like that, on, on hardware. And like the, the common theme is hardware is hard. <laughs> <laughs> that comes up a lot. Um, yeah. And the idea is that there's so many technical challenges and so many supply chain challenges. Um, and as you grow, those challenges just keep changing. So even if you can solve it on a scale of building one at a time, 10 at a time is a whole different game. You have to re-engineer everything for 10. You have to re-engineer everything for 100 and then again for 1,000. So it's a lot of work um, mm -hmm. and it's very challenging. But um, I, my personal recommendation would be to build a hardware company that doesn't necessarily make its money on hardware. I'm a big proponent of you know, build a hard, hardware company, it, it has a lot of benefits over like a software company right, right. in terms of, you know, competitors and the ability to duplicate. We, we still don't have a competitor, which is great. We've been at this for a long time, whereas successful software companies, you know, a competitor can pop up overnight. Um, and that's an interesting point because I think a lot of people would probably look at, from the customer standpoint, from the user standpoint, a lot of, you know, well-designed machines like yours and say, this is so easy. I understand what's going on here. I could build this. Right. But I mean, even your first generation, you said, took like six months with help from other people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that was just a prototype, you know? Right. <laughs> it served right. tea. It made a cup of tea, but it was not scalable right. <laughs> by any means. Um, so, yeah, hardware companies are great in terms of competitive advantage. Yeah. Um, and I think you should always remember that that's your biggest benefit from a hardware company. You shouldn't, in my opinion at least, try to make money on the hardware. We don't make a lot of money when we sell a machine or we rent a machine. Our money comes from the T. That's where the margins are. So hardware is often a way to get you know, captivate your market. Mm -hmm. um, but you, I want you, I think you should try to make your money on something else. And often it's software, believe it or not. <laughs> it could just be a SaaS solution. Right. Where they're paying monthly for the software fees. Um, but the reason they use your product and not anyone else's is because you have this unique piece of hardware. Sure. That's very difficult to replicate. No, that's great advice. And it's the, the perspective is always kind of, um, I'm sure very welcome by people who are considering, I don't know, I, I guess the journey uh, yeah. that that's required by starting something new and particularly in, in hardware. Um, what about the mindset of an engineer retooling your own brain to become a business person? That's been a lot of fun. Um, and that's one of the reasons I, I started a company, right? Instead like how you didn't say anything to her. You're just, I'm just, making just a face. Big, big eyes, <laughs> making a face. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I started a company and I've learned a lot and, the, and that's what keeps me interested. Yeah. Right. Um, it's a whole different game and it's not just the business aspect. It's not just how do you make money in terms of margins? How do you pay for things? Um, keep costs down, but also the other pieces of running a business, right? Just the, how do you deal with maintenance, right? We have a machine that goes down right. in Chicago. Like <laughs> those are the challenges with hardware companies. So, but maintenance is one aspect. Sales is another big one and not something I've, I've mastered yet. And it's the next big thing I'm trying to work on is like, how do I become a good salesperson? And like, mm -hmm. that's not something I went to school for. Um, and you know, you just read books. You watch. Because it's, all, it's, it's, it's like that. I mean, this is dumbing things down for engineers being binary people who like, <laughs> like logic, but yeah, it's, it's the emotional side of the business, perhaps. Absolutely. It's less about a product solution fit and more about, yeah, subjectivity. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think a, a good business partner goes a long way in that regard. Um, I've never had one. You know, it, it just came to me the other day. I was talking to my dad about business the other day, and he's a seasoned entrepreneur, and we were talking about some of his companies and where their growth um, 
I guess where the growth kind of either came too quickly and they couldn't scale because he didn't have the right partner to help scale. Oh, yeah. Or otherwise, when the company was too um, a great idea, great product market fit, but uh, he didn't know the market well enough. You know, anywhere he kept looking himself for a partner um, to fill the shoes, and that became almost the excuse sometimes for failures in certain companies. And uh, I don't know if it was through that experience and seeing that growing up or what, but I've always been a solopreneur. I didn't even realize that wow. uh, for most of my businesses. Yeah, until... Which is interesting because, I mean, you're like a personal person, so it's not an issue with finding a fit with another person, but... No. Yeah. But then that can also be its own thing. So when you're a solopreneur running around doing 500 things at once, at least <laughs> in the early stages of your company, you can potentially, or I've found that I have in most of my businesses, gotten to a certain level of expertise with all of my subject matter. Mm-hmm that is beyond uh, what most people that I would interview or find to collude with would have. So it's really, in your in my younger years, I think like in my 20s, it was a maybe an ego thing right. where I was trying to do everything at once because it felt like also it was an adrenaline rush, you know. Yeah. And I felt like, oh, I could do it the best, so why rely on anyone? And I can work faster and everything because I didn't have a kid, mortgage, right. family. And that's a tough skill that I've had to learn is, yeah, I, I feel like I can do things better than other people, but like it's, it's important to be able to delegate, yeah, to be able to manage. Definitely. <laughs> Ultimately, that's what I you think... You have a team under you, right? Like you, you, you don't do everything here at Starwell, so you still have to learn how to manage, how to delegate. <laughs> yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> Specifically with Startwell. Yeah. Being this physical, you know, kind of very physical business where my a lot of my history is in services that are digital right. and software. Uh, it's been a massive, massive uh, learning curve for me initially on. And, and now it's, we've hit a good stride with uh, focusing on a team. And it's for me, it's about a team that each member on has the ability to take onus, mm -hmm. the ability to make decisions. And all I do is set the parameters of, you know, what is fundamentally right or wrong to make decisions within yeah. and then hopefully trust that, that, you know, people can own certain aspects of what we need done. Because realistically, we have like a small team, right? We have right. four people. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're still all kind of solopreneurs in our own domains. Yeah. So it's been very interesting. But um, so I, I guess it's a great kind of segue mm -hmm. into talking about uh, as a company, uh, what has the journey been since the university days with T-Bot? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 20, I can't remember if it was 2014 that we did the CDL program. We went to Mars. We were incubated at the Mars Discovery District. Um, we also have a T-Bot there, still there today. <laughs> um, that was our first permanent location. The U of T one went in and then out, but then back in, and now it's in. <laughs> um, and then we went down to Y Combinator. Uh, in 2015, the summer of 2015, we were lucky enough to get into the Y Combinator program. And that's an application process? or Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's an application process, then an interview process. We flew down there for the interview um, and then came back here the next day actually to launch UFT. So that was a hectic time. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, we were fortunate enough to get into that program. We moved the whole company down there. I think we were about eight people at the time. Um, moved into a little three-bedroom house. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All eight people. And then, yeah, ran the company there for three or four months. Um, continued to build machines there, you know. Oh, wow. Soldering in the living room, <laughs> whatever was it's necessary. It's like TV show. It's totally Silicon Valley. Yeah. Oh, it was, yeah. Eric then, Bachman's house. Yeah. And there yeah, was, it was like, a sitcom. There's a guy sleeping on the floor in the living room, and you're soldering on the table next to it. And, yeah, it was good fun. <laughs> Super interesting. 
<laughs> and then coming back to Canada from that. Yeah, so when we finished that program, we raised um, a seed round from Silicon Valley investors, uh, some VCs down there, also some great VCs here in Toronto, um, and some angel investors. And then we brought that money back here, because um, mainly because this is where our customers were at the time. Right. Um, all our big customers were here in the Toronto area. Um, but then soon after that, we launched Chicago, we launched Boston, we started then selling into the U.S. from Canada. And uh, with what you mentioned about sales being something that you have had to and are learning um, mm -hmm. how to get better at, how have you found the sales process, you know, I guess the inbound versus outbound, you yeah. know, question. Uh, coming out of those programs, did that help drum up interest in the product or is this all kind of your efforts that have driven sales? Um, the program helped in terms of getting advertising. So we were on the front page of TechCrunch, which was really awesome. Oh, wow. So we got a bunch of inbound from that. Um, but yeah, we don't do a lot of outbound and that's something I need to change probably. Um, but you know, for better or for worse, you know, we, we have good inbound coming in and it's just a matter of managing that. Mm -hmm. um, we've also changed our business model quite a bit over the years. So at the early days, we would be the ones approaching the universities and the, the airports, but now we deal with food service providers. So right. now those are our customers. So it's kind of a channel partner. Um, which is a whole other business. <laughs> it very much is, right? It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, 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 when you're not dealing with the end customer or someone who knows the end customer in terms of their unique, no, uh, you know, kind of like needs and wants, and mm -hmm. instead someone who plays a more functional role in service, I find, yeah. um, they might be used to playing the numbers game and the brokerage kind of game <laughs> better than saying this is something that's compelling for the end customer's customer. Right. I don't yeah. know if you've been finding that. And that's that's something I wish you had asked earlier, what I wish I knew I, earlier on was mm -hmm. that. I wish I would have explored that a bit better. Like when we launched Chicago, I was, you know, I came to work with a go bag. <laughs> so like with my passport and my, my bag in my trunk. And if necessary, I would literally drive to the airport that day. Wow. Fly to Chicago, be there at 7 a.m., fix their machine, fly back. Wow. Um, you still do that, though. That's... <laughs> I'm trying to do less of that. Uh, it's not scalable, right? And that's honestly what we learned. Um, so using these channel partners, they're on the ground. They have local people. They're probably there servicing another machine anyways. Um, so, and that's how we scale. And we really had to take a step back and look at the business and understand that we can't continue to scale this business. Um, but it was a great learning experience. I actually don't regret doing it mm -hmm. um, because I got to see all the problems firsthand. I had that relationship with the food service director at you know Google office in Chicago and got to hear his direct feedback. Um, the, the issue with the channel partner is sometimes you don't get all that feedback immediately. Right. No, absolutely. Or ever maybe. Or ever, mm -hmm. which is much worse. Yeah. yeah. No, it's very interesting. I mean, like, it's kind of related. You mentioned airport, and we're talking about food service, so mm -hmm. I'll just bring up this anecdote. Um, I was in an airport. I was at, you know, Pearson here in Toronto. Um, and uh, when was this? A week, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, two mm -hmm. weeks ago. And um, I was starving, and there was a pub next to my gate, uh, but our plane was about to depart, and we were supposed to board, uh, and then it got pushed back. And then I was like, do I go to the pub and eat? <laughs> It's close enough, but the seats that were available were all like facing the other way. And I kind of was like, well, I'm too tired. I don't want to think about missing my flight. Yeah. And the flight for like an hour kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. 
So I was like, I wish I could, uh, you know, just get someone to bring me food like we would in the office or at home in downtown, (laughs) Foodora or Uber Eats or whatever. And I saw a poster, lo and behold, as I'm scanning the crowd for people that I know at some point. And um, Uber Eats has started delivering to Gates in uh, in Pearson Airport. Really? And it was week number one that I was sitting at the airport for the service. Uh, I found out later. Uh, So I pulled it up on my app and the app doesn't necessarily have the specificity that you would expect, uh, you know, of geolocation in the app. So you kind of say you're at Pearson and kind of guesstimate what terminal you're at. (laughs) And then you put your finger down and you say, bring me the food. And it shows you the right vendors. It's only the restaurants that are participating in the gates near you. For me, I was at Terminal 1 and uh, I was ordering food from Paramount and Terminal 3, I think, or the other way around. Okay. And I was like, I don't even know how they'll make this delivery time because the app said 15 <laughs> minutes for, you know, a shawarma or something. Yeah. And it ended up taking about an hour. Oh, my God. Uh, and they came huffing and puffing. And it was someone from the restaurant oh carrying God. the Uber bag with uh, a food services director from, I forget what the, the company they use at Pearson is. Right. And uh, so he kind of like was trying to train her and figure out how to make this work because they're like, and then, you know, they're huffing and puffing. And luckily my flight was so delayed that, you know, I I got got my food and got on the plane and ate it and was feeling great. Um, But he was telling me that Uber hadn't given them any direction on how to roll out the logistics of the service at the airport. They had done some sort of a deal that forced it to be tested with these restaurants. Oh. And so they pushed it through the channels, the logistical channels to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And then the food services company took on the onus, maybe because of security clearance or something, yeah. I don't know, to say that we will ensure the delivery of this. But they had no idea how to make this happen. Because yeah. the like soft, right? And there's so many angles right. to this that, that need thought being thought through and all this stuff. So yeah, the, it's very important for, um, for, for any company, I guess, to right. be able to have a direct interface with this customer and know how to manage that yeah. and, and manage I think the customer experience. In an ideal scenario, Uber would have put its own employees in there for the launch week right. to do it, do the deliveries themselves, understand the logistics, you know, hop on this train and go through this gate and there's do this the analysis. special security clearance. And then, yeah, do the analysis, find the actual times that it takes and, right. you know, make their product better. I don't know, man. It's a back to the Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, like you know, hustle porn that is a problematic <laughs> in startup culture in North America, I think. Yeah. But yeah, bring it back to home. So uh, how does it look now in terms of the, you were saying there's been a couple pivots in terms of mm-hmm. uh, taking the feedback of how your business model is yeah. uh, manifest and, and eye trading, changing things, evolving. So yeah. what does T-Bot look like as a company now and... Where are you guys in terms of, um, I guess, machine reach, product development, any any real aspects of, give me the picture. <laughs> so yeah, when we moved back to Canada, we started manufacturing these machines. We have some great manufacturing partners around the GTA, uh, Greater Toronto Area, but we did final assembly and QC testing in-house. So okay. we had a huge facility on the west end of Toronto um, where we could build these machines, we could do all the product testing, and every single machine was tested by us before it went out the door. Um, and then Do we they go have to, names? The, each machine? <laughs> no, we're... It's like the warehouse in Westworld. <laughs> you I that? name them. You do? Yeah. <laughs> What's the most kind of crazy name that you've They're named? They're just like T-Boop. <laughs> <laughs> it's just changing one, one letter around. Yeah. She's very creative. I'm very super creative. 
And they're I've all, seen they're her all t-shirts. women. They're all women. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> they're all she's. Like boats. <laughs> like boats? Yeah, boats are women. That's a weird one. It's true. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that people put their true, you know, like, fear of God into, like, trusting has to be a woman. Yeah. Because you can't trust a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, uh, so your army of T-Bots. Yeah, and you know, it, it got crazy when you're building 40 machines at a time. Um, so we found a way to outsource that production, which has um, been a huge help. And that's actually what allowed us to move in to start well. Uh, we started in an environment like this, a co-working space at the Mars building. Right. Um, but we right. were terrible neighbors, right? We would be... <laughs> also, that was a little room, right? You're yeah. talking about, like, yeah. upstairs? There? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, we were drilling and soldering, and, like, we were not good neighbors when everyone else is just, you know, typing on a laptop. Uh, <laughs> so then we got our own space, bigger space, bigger space, etc., until we, we had our own workshop and everything. But now we've kind of went the other way where we've managed to outsource the manufacturing piece. You know, our engineering's are, are finally, like, solid enough that we can just replicate the machines now Mm -hmm. Um, there's less and less R&D going on and that's what allowed us to move into this space so we can focus on the next phase of the business which is sales and growth and I mean I think it's without see it's funny because like we've had the the bots here for over a year has it been yeah I think so and it's funny to look every day at people's reactions to it um, when they first see it when they get introduced to it and now I've even been telling you know um like the concierge and, and baristas, don't uh, over-explain it. Mm. Don't tell people, this is how it works, and then <laughs> jump into it to, like, you're not, this isn't a, a vacuum in the 80s. Yeah. Like, you know, let them explore it because yes. it's self-explanatory. Yeah. And uh, and the delight that you see on people's face, mm-hmm. and then you subsequently see it, or I do, every day when people, like, come in early so that there's no rush at the water station next to it <laughs> and, like, make their tea. It's It's... It's amazing. You know, it's it's very few products that you see that love that people have for it. Um, So it's a wonderful thing to see because I think that that definitely is that that kind of ratification of this stage that you're at, which is like the products defined. Yeah. People love it. Now it's just about making sure that uh, you can get as many of them out there that uh, is sustainable and, and expand the offering a little bit. Like, so do you think, I mean, you, you mentioned this kind of service side of mm-hmm. the business or the supply side, the subscription side, are there changes coming up in, in that side of things? Yeah, we're, we're streamlining the business, right? So how do we grow? Um, we're Right now we have a U.S. supplier and a Canadian supplier. We're trying to streamline that to one supplier. Um, just the, the way people receive their tea in the olden days, I mean, the early days, we... Uh, the olden days. <laughs> the olden days of 2014. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, when electric cars were pulled yeah. by horses. <laughs> just had a pot on a stove. <laughs> on a fire. Um, the, yeah, we had some crazy engineering things where we would, like, ship the tea canister, the full, full, solid canister back and forth because we were paranoid about other people putting other tea, like lower mm-hmm. quality tea into our machines and things like that. And so like, for refills, it would be like, yeah, a, wow. Refills were insane because you had to mail these things back and forth across an international border, which was all kinds of fun. Um, so now, you know, we've streamlined it. So we have like one package size and we let our customers, you know, fill the, the tea on the, on the, on site. And that's where these channel partners come in. You know, they have food service partners that are used to filling coffee machines and, 
it's really no different to fill a tea machine. Right. Um, so, you know, streamlining in that regard um, has been one big change that we've done. And the other, the other benefit of working here in Startwell has been that we can see these new users coming in. So we, we often sit by the machines and we can see the feedback from new users. Because when we had our own private office, it was really just the same 20 people using it every day. Right. Um, and we've got an interesting, diverse segment of people coming to mm, use it, right? Exactly. And if people. we do try a new feature, um, we can get their genuine, you know, first-time reaction to this, like they've never seen this before, was the flow easy? So I, I appreciate that you're, you're telling a staff not to over-explain, right. um, because then we get genuine feedback on, hey, this wasn't clear, or this was difficult, or this was great. <laughs> so, um, now of course, we do have security cameras that do capture people using the machine. Oh, really? We should <laughs> have, like, a blooper reel, then. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> we should just yeah. put a sign that says, you know, you are part of, you are a guinea pig. Yeah. In the T-Bot experiment. Know. I'm always down there fiddling and fixing things and adding things to it. So, like, a lot of people come by and they, they don't really know I work for T-Bot at first. They're just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh. Like, that's not how you use it. Yeah. And like, oh, no, I figured out how to hack it. Do you want to yeah. see? Oh, the best is, yeah, when I go to an office and someone explains to me how to use it. That's a great feeling. Wow. Full <laughs> of pride, right? Yeah. That's a great feeling. I just pretend like I've never seen one before and let them explain. It's awesome. <laughs> I feel that same way when, when our members are touring other people around. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. I love it. So what do you think in the next little while? I mean, it's 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 wonderful. We'll, and for our listeners, you know, there'll be more content coming out, mm -hmm. I think, telling these stories about T-Bot and, uh, and also uh, what we're doing with T-Bot on campus here. Absolutely. And all of these stories. We're going to try and create some more content around it because we are partners and we should mm -hmm. uh, tell these stories. But um, yeah, let us know a little bit about what's what you're seeing for 2019. Yeah, the ramp up to 2020. Why <laughs> um, 20k? Yeah, so Noor's been doing a, a great job. Make it <laughs> copyright. <laughs> so because we're moving less from the retail environments, as I mentioned, we started in malls and schools. Now we're moving towards the office market. Right. Um. So it's a really it's it's changed the user experience too because now you have the same people using it every day at the office, yeah. right? As opposed mm -hmm. to a college campus where you could have new people every day. So how do we do more in terms of remembering your favorite blends? Um, they're becoming more conscious about the paper cup. People don't want to, you know, they're sitting in the See, office all day. that's interesting. I meant to ask you about that mm -hmm. because yeah. I know that you guys have been trying to play with the filters and ceramic cups and yeah. all yeah. that. Um, what we're finding is that people are interested in the, you know, eco-conscious solutions. Exactly. But the convenience of taking a paper cup with a filter yeah. lid is just brilliant. Like yeah. Yeah, everyone absolutely. would much rather, or the 99% would much rather just do that. Yeah. yeah. But it's about creating an option for, you know, if you want to have an eco option, it might take another three seconds in a user <laughs> process. And it's about finding that, that kind of balance where, you know, we want to have something that's like still convenient and easy to use. And, but like also if you want to do the more, green and eco way of doing things there might be like an extra step involved and you know it's just about like having that ability to to build that into the user experience I guess. yeah yeah so we just got a notification today that our, our stainless steel strainers arrived Yay. Uh, so cool. we're going to pick we, which we tested here we tested yeah, all of I remember we tested all a whole bunch of different ones here yeah. and then we found the winner we, we and then i would yeah i would creep people at their desks and <laughs> say how do you like your tea strainer <laughs> who are you where did you come from yeah. <laughs> I work here. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. 
And it's it's about that, but it's also about the software, right? And improving. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are there particular things to the tablet interface? I've seen you guys change the mounts and yeah. stuff like that. Changing the tablet. Um, again, favorite blends is something that we want to work on. I love that because um, I'm always tapping the same thing all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's most. Yeah. I, I mean, so am I. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we make it easier for Gossam to walk up and it just says, welcome back, Gossam. Have right. the usual. You can just click one button and it'll make your tea at your exactly. temperature, at your you know dispensing ratios. Well, we'll be talking more about that offline, I think, <laughs> in the next few months. Because with our new software platform that we've rolled onto, we've got some really cool stuff we can do with our API. Awesome. And we've got a new Android and iOS app coming out in the next week, from what I understand. Great. Um, so if we added the like interface for the T-Bot on your phone. Love it. You know? I don't know. It might be a whole new thing. We need some sort of proximity sensor or something. Chips in brains. If you come up towards the tea, because you don't want people ordering it and then they go down and someone's stealing their tea. But you come up to the machine and you press the button in the app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't need that. You know, There's lots of lots of ways we can Absolutely. create some cool stuff. Um, so, yeah, otherwise, in terms of growth and the company, I mean, what would you like to see? Um not that everyone needs to race towards becoming a billion-dollar company, but yeah. obviously this machine is something that people I would like to see everywhere I go. Yeah, I miss it when I get home. I'm <laughs> sure you hear that a lot. Like, I don't make tea at home anymore. Even yeah. though I want tea, I'm like, eh, it's not the same. That was one of my favorite quotes in the early days when I, I went to um, the Google office just after the Thanksgiving long weekend, and the employee literally said, I missed coming to work because I missed my tea bot. Yeah. <laughs> That is the, the, the best feedback. It's yeah. amazing. Fantastic. Right? And that's what I told the food service director, right? Like, this person missed their job <laughs> because <laughs> they couldn't get this ginger jasmine tea yeah. anywhere else. It's <laughs> very important. So all HR managers listening to this podcast must oblige us. <laughs> get a tea And bot. get in touch. Get a tea bot. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's just one of the one of the many things, but one of the most important things mm-hmm. at Startwell that I feel improves everyone's yeah. day, and it's it's that's a ubiquitous kind of feedback that we get. That's great from everybody. It's a really cool like when people are doing office tours for new hires or other people. Like it's like a stopping point right. on like an office tour, which sometimes when we're servicing we, we get to actually see that and it's really interesting it's like oh this is the teapot yeah. it's a and this is the, they're you know? proud of yeah. it you know it's yeah a, it's absolutely. a piece of pride for the office yeah which is great mm-hmm. absolutely it is <laughs> and because it's self-service it's one of those things that's like you feel yeah. nourished by feeding yourself through the robot and it's yeah. you say robot it's interesting in the beginning right that was the descriptor because it is i tell is. people that too it's a robot that brews beautiful fresh customized tea yeah um, but it's not a robot like a scary 1984 AI thing that <laughs> yeah. everyone's afraid of. You know, it's it's an appliance, yeah. but it has eyes. personality. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And of course, I should say... Uh, she has personality. Yeah, she has personality. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, I do have one more question on this idea of kind of growth or at least um, how... T-Bots can be rolled out more easily. Yes. Uh, we here at campus, uh, main campus at Start, we'll have two machines, right? So we've got That's the right. small yeah. one, which you call... Discover. Discover. Right. And then 
We've got the larger one. So the Discover has how many varietals in it? Or so it has seven ingredients, ingredients in it. Okay. But because of the user interface, because you can mix and match and create your own blends, it really translates to hundreds of different blends. Right. Right. So it's usually more than enough for any office. And then the larger machine that we have in the event space has eighteen ingredients. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah. That was and our that's original. Like ten thousand. <laughs> yeah. Blends or it's in the thousands. It's yeah. more blends than you'd ever need. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so. I, I could see demand being very personalized in terms of people asking you time and time again for a smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller machine. Mm-hmm. Is that coming up or are you going to focus on these two models for now? We do get that feedback. Um, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, like, people want like a personal home T-Bot, absolutely. right? <laughs> it does come up a lot. And that's like, oh, wow, I can't even think about that. Right. But, my my answer yeah. typically is what I would rather do is, you know, have you use the T-Bot as is, create your perfect blend, and then I can send you your blend to your house. Yeah. Which you can do through the app, yeah, right? You yeah. You can so. make your own blend, and we package it up and send it to you. Like, no problem. Right. I think that's a fantastic solution. Yeah. I think so too. And I think, you know, it's, it's a cool idea to have a tea bot in your house, but at the end of the day, we're all going to have, you know, like I'm going to have my jasmine peppermint tea. Yeah. You're going to have Gossam's blend. She's going to have Noor's blend. Yeah. I look at it like... Um, so I'm not get that at home. Unless you're like hosting fancy tea parties. Sure. Yeah, maybe we can make like a little mixed kit or something yeah, for like home. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. I, I, I liken this to, uh, you know, these machines in many ways to uh, fire pit. Like you wouldn't probably have a fire pit in your backyard Mm. and just put some logs on and stare at it. You might have a fireplace, you know, it's (laughs) against a wall or, you know, a barbecue Mm -hmm. to roast your shish kebabs or make steaks. But like, it's very, it's about functional, but this machine, so that's where you're brewing your tea and you're sitting on, you know, wherever you're sitting and you're drinking your tea at home. This machine is very much about like people gathering yeah. around. It's about the theatrics of the use yeah. case. Somebody called it like a um, water cooler 2.0. <laughs> I can't say that because we already have water cooler 2.0 with sparkling, spa- you know, the reverse <laughs> osmosis taps. Mm, yeah. This is way beyond 2.0. This is like, yes. <laughs> Next level. Water cooler future. Future water cooler. Um, in terms, bringing back to the company of T-Bot before we wrap, because mm-hmm. the studio is about to turn over to uh, another crew, um, and we'll pick this up definitely for more conversations coming up. Sure. But um, growth in terms of the company, are you looking to connect with any specific people you want to give a shout out to who might be listening, any potential hires or partners or distributors or anything? Yeah, I mean, you made a shout out to HR people, <laughs> and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's usually the HR people that love T-Bot, and so we found that that's a great angle to get into offices with with regards to sales, um, as opposed to going through the food service companies, mm-hmm. right? Um, the food service companies are, at the end of the day, the ones that are going to maintain it, but again, T-Bot is something that your employees will talk about, that they'll love, they'll love coming to work because of this, you know, on the first day, there's always a lineup <laughs> regardless, yeah. you know, of where we launch. Um, so yeah, employees really genuinely love it. And, you know, you could throw a pizza party one time or whatever the, the one-time thing is, but bringing this in permanently makes them love coming to work every day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that would be my only pitch. And can reduce caffeine intake for coffee drinkers and yeah we didn't even talk about the health benefits benefits, yeah tea is if you're considering a pop machine or a soda machine oh of course this is a no brainer if you're considering any sugary machine yeah just (laughs) delete this podcast don't listen to us ever again go away <laughs> Don't do that stuff to yourself and your people, or, or to your employees. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, a lot of employee yeah, companies want to do want to encourage healthy uh, interactions with their with their. 
customers with their um, hires. Absolutely. No, I think in our for our um, our kind of wellness programming channel for 2019 that we're yeah. doing with talks and stuff uh, in our event space, we'll have you guys uh, on a panel soon to discuss kind of, I think there's a whole topic here around yeah. uh, the ingredients, some of these ingredients and how they can... Noor knows a lot of that stuff. She's been yeah. teaching me, actually. <laughs> yeah, I have a background in Ayurveda, so Indian medicine, which we incorporate a lot of um, herbs and things like that. Like ginger is a, a known anti-inflammatory and um, is great for all different types of healing. And some of the ingredients that we use are internationally known for, I mean who hasn't been told you know oh you're having trouble sleeping have some lavender you right know? right <laughs> so all these things like there is science to back them up for sure um as far as the health benefits of tea goes yep. yeah excellent yeah whole other podcast we should we should get into it though that is, yeah, so, <laughs> lastly uh links for people to check out your website is at just tbot.com t-e-a-b-o-t.com yeah. excellent and you, we're gonna post huh you can follow us at my tbot at my t bot. Oh yeah, that's the Instagrams. Media. Yes, Instagram, that's our Facebook. social medias. My t bot. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay, and we'll post all these links with this episode. So if you go to the show page at startwell.co/slash/community, you'll see a link there. Um, and yeah, explore, learn more, and stay tuned because we'll have more content telling you more about tea events where you can come and sample tea at Startwell. Definitely. Yep. Meet these wonderful people on the microphone with me today, and all that jazz. So with that, I uh, want to thank you guys for joining me. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thank awesome. You. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm.